Américas. Five and underway here on ESPN Plus and ESPN Caribbean alongside longtime U.S. international Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 310. Hercules, how you doing over there? I'm doing beautiful, Sebastian Salazar. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Today is the uh, one-year anniversary, actually, of, of the second semifinal at last year's World Cup. Do you know who was refereeing the game between France and Morocco? Do you remember? I, I don't remember. Why? Am I supposed to remember? Cesar Ramos, the uh, Mexican official, was the man in the middle in charge of that game. How about oh, that? Well, uh, Mexico I, did advance at the World uh, Cup. You just have uh, to look extra hard for those to find two teams. <laughs> okay, steady, steady, steady. No referee slander on this edition of uh, Football Americas. We do have lots to get to, though. We got a plethora of guests. Jeff Kasouf is going to join us. we got to talk all things women's soccer, U.S. women's national team, uh, NWSL as well. Mauricio Pedrosa is going to stop by. we got the Liga Mekis final first leg between America and Tigres kicking off uh, just after we get off the air here on ESPN+. And we're moments away from hearing from uh, Shaka Hisla. Plus, Herc, we got draws to discuss, both in terms of the CONCACAF uh, Gold Cup, the W Gold Cup, as well as the uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup, formerly known as the CONCACAF Champions League. But let's start with some action out of the UEFA Champions League. The group of death, as they say, AC Milan, away to Newcastle on Wednesday. Christian Pulisic and Yunus Musa in the starting 11 as Milan won 2-1. to one. They're out of the Champions League, Herc, but they are into the Europa League, and it was a big game for Pulisic. Here's his first Champions League goal for Milan. Yeah, I don't know how much Oliver Giroud knew about that pass, but it makes its way to Christian Pulisic, and Christian Pulisic continues to be as productive as he's ever been. His sixth goal across 19 games in all competitions since joining AC Milan from Chelsea in the summer transfer window. Speaking of our big transfer move in the last couple of months, welcome into the show now our good friend and colleague, Shaka Hislop, of course, a legend of Trinidad and Tobago football. Shaka, great to have you with us. Uh, sorry for the AC Milan victory. I know you were devastated by that with your Newcastle ways. Of oh, course, uh, Shaka, an ow. ex-Newcastle goalie in his, in his yeah. heyday. Uh, what did you make, Shaka, of not just Pulisic's goal, but the performance as well? I, I, listen, I thought AC Milan played, played the game wonderfully well. On the other, Newcastle were looking for the win. A, a, a win would take them into, into the Champions League, and obviously a loss would have them bottom of the group and out to European football. And, and I, don't, I don't fault Newcastle at all for, for going all or bust. Um, in all honesty. Uh, it was an end-to-end -end game. Milan themselves could have qualified for the Champions League if they won and Dortmund beat PSG. Milan would have gone through. So um, it, it was a fairly open game. I, I'll, I'll counter Herc and, and think Olivier Giroud, Giroud knew exactly what he's doing with that pass to pick out Christian Pulisic. I don't think that was an accident at all. Um, I, it, was, it was a wonderful game to watch for, for a number of reasons. Unfortunately, Newcastle threw all caution to the wind, came out the wrong side of it, um, and, and uh, are, are left with, with nothing as, as a result. But that takes nothing away from, from Milan's performance and well, their reward of going into the Europa League. Herc, what did you think of Pulisic? I thought Christian was quite good. He was very positive. Listen, it, it's not Milan's fault that Newcastle's a hospital today. They got like 10, 12 injuries. Uh, it, it is what it is. Same players have been playing the same game, same lineup for the last six games in like 15, 18 days. Not their fault. Milan put themselves in this situation. They could have taken care of, uh, of uh, Newcastle at home in the first game of the Champions League. It should have been 4-5-0. It was not. Uh, that's the first game and only game that Christian Pulisic does not start for Stefano Pioli in the Champions League. And it cost this team. Uh, I thought 
that Christian Pulisic was very positive. And again, when Stefano Pioli needed somebody, it was Christian Pulisic. I thought he was bright on the day. I was disappointed to see him coming out because there's a few transition moments at the end of the game that a Christian Pulisic uh, running at you with the Ruffalo or with anybody else is a prime uh, suspect to put that away. I was bummed that he wasn't there in those uh, final stages, but I thought overall his performance was very positive. Chaka, how big a deal is it for Christian Pulisic, and I guess for Yunus Musa, different stage of his career, to miss out on the knockout rounds of the Champions League? There is the silver lining, as many are pointing out, of Europa League. I think a, a competition that Milan, if not favored to win, will certainly be among the favorites to win, right? Yeah, l l Milan is... Once you're coming down from the Champions League, you'll be expected to go far in that competition. Of course, winning the Europa League comes with a reward of, of Champions League uh, next season. So there, there's, there's a lot of incentive uh, for that. Going out at this stage, I, I'm, I don't think it affects either, either Musa or Pulisic in, in, in any way. I, I think uh, AC Milan are still a, a club in transition, given, given what we saw. Uh, Transfer-wise, this summer, I, I think they did better than, than I certainly expected them to. While Pioli himself, because of indifferent form in the league, has found himself under pressure. At least this, this is, has eased that uh, somewhat um, in, in terms of what, what they can plan for in, 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 in the short and, and medium, if, if not long term. Um, but all in all, I, I don't think the, 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 well, the victory or going out of the Champions League in, in, in this group in particular affects affects either. I'm, I'm, I'm with Herc, and I thought Christian Pulisic um, had a really good day. I, again, it was an end-to-end -end game, and one that I, I thought Pulisic sat on the shoulders of, of the of the centre-halves, uh, both the Shells and, and, and Shah, uh, and stretched, stretched Newcastle um, defensively. So Newcastle weren't able to press maybe as high up the park as, as, as they would have liked, or certainly when they tried, they always found themselves leaving, leaving room in behind. And that's where Pulisic ex exploited. And I, I thought in, in the way he positioned himself um, was, was, was really good on the night. So I was thinking about this, uh, uh, how it affects these two players. And, and for Yunus Musa, I don't think it affects him at all. If anything, it's a better situation for him because nobody realistically has Milan going far in the Champions League. They could be a team that goes far a la Liverpool in the Europa League. Uh, so he's going to get more European competition, more games. But specifically on Christian Pulisic, who's already won this competition with Champions League, you would expect him, you, you think a player of that caliber deserves to be in the Champions League. Let me tell you how it affects him. It doesn't. The only thing that affects him is the positive game that he played that, by the way, when he scores, at that moment, it was 50% of AC Milan's goals in the Champions League. They scored up into the moment when Pulisic scored the second goal, their second goal in Champions League. So look. For Christian Pulisic, what he just did is he saved Stefano Pioli's job, a coach who's in mm. constant pressure. If they don't win that game, they're not going to Europa League. They're going, they're crashing out. There is no Europa League. You're talking about enormous failure for Stefano Pioli, and he could be on the way out. A coach that finally, Christian Pulisic finally finds a coach who believes in him, finally finds a coach who plays him, where he's productive, where he's in arguably one of the best forms of his life. And today, I would say arguably the best, excuse me, the best player that AC Milan has. Outfield player, mm. I should say, that AC Milan has. Uh, this crashing out of Champions League, if you will, does very little for Milan and maybe Pulisic, but it gives them a hell of a lot going forward. Shaq, mm -hmm. I got to give you a word there. I feel like Rafael Leao is watching us right now, who's been on Football Americas, by the way. He's screaming at the television saying, Herc, what about me? Christian oh. Pulisic ahead of me? Yes, he's ahead of Rafael Leao for sure. <laughs> yeah, Magic Mike's the only one I think could, could, could rival that one right now. Shaq, bring mm -hmm. us back to earth here. 
Yeah, look, I, listen, I, I, I thought, well, well both, and, and Leao played his part in, in, the, goal as, in the goal as well. Leao is a, is a player that I, I absolutely love. He's not been having a great season by his... Well, he's been very inconsistent yes. this season, which, which I think is, is disappointing for somebody of, of his quality. Um, that being said, I, you, you put that down. Again, this is a club going through a transition as they keep reminding reminding me kind of given everything that that's happened over the summer so um let, let's see how, how that flushes out but i i, I think I, I think this is is a, a one offer for leao he, he's one of the brighter talents in, in that eastern milan dressing room um i don't i don't think he's at all bothered about being uh overshadowed by pulisic at least in this instance Christian Pulisic, the first U.S. men's national team player to score for three different clubs in the Champions League. So making some history, not just any three clubs. Of course, uh, Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea, and AC Milan. Speaking of Borussia Dortmund, let's talk a little bit about Gio Reyna, right? He got in at the end of Dortmund's 1-1 draw against PSG on Wednesday. It's a result that helped Dortmund qualify. Actually, first place out of the very difficult Group F. Reyna played the last nine minutes, uh, and Herc, everybody's very excited about kind of one key pass that he made, right? Well, yeah, it's not just one key pass. Marco Royce has a better touch. That's a goal. Dortmund wins. Milan wins. And you got both Americans going on. It's a short cameo. And all it was like 15 minutes. It was nine minutes regulation time and then stoppage time. It, it was a, a positive outing by Gio. But people are excited because of what they see from Gio when he does play. Yeah. And I think more notably perhaps than the nine minutes and the one key pass is what we saw after the game, Shaka, which was a confrontation or as like we like to say on this show, a kerfuffle between Gio Reyna and the veteran defender uh, in Mats Hummels. You could also see maybe an exchange of words between Reyna and the manager, uh, Eden Terzic. Uh, Shaka, what do you make of this? You've been around dressing rooms. You've been in the heat of the moment after the game. Uh, what did you see in that confrontation between Reyna uh, and his teammate and his manager? Uh, two players exchanging words as they do in an emotional moment uh, after performance. While the result is exactly what, what Dortmund needed, given that they, they topped the group, um, I, I, I think... Borussia Dortmund could cut themselves lucky not, not to have gone 4-5 uh, down and, and lost this game quite convincingly. Giorena comes in just to kind of seal things up. Um, and, and while we can only speculate as, as to what the exchange was about, where when you have the kind of pace that PSG have uh, and the lack of pace that Dortmund have certainly defensively, you expect you expect a lot of cover from from your midfielders, um, especially that late in the game. Dre Arena coming on with what nine, ten minutes to go. Um, his primary responsibility is, is, is as defensive cover. And, and listen, I know where his, his, his assets are and, and probably best best deployed. But still, he, he's got to play both sides of the ball. And, and I suspect that's what that exchange was about. Um, nothing more than a, than a teaching moment, if you can put it down to that, as, uh, between a, a senior player and, and a young. Talent that uh, I feel Giorina is a very bright talent, um, and the manager kind of gets involved. I, I, it happens all the time. It normally happens in the dressing room more times than out out on the pitch. But given the the circumstance and Germany, they like to stay out and and, and clap the fans after games, and they've topped the group after all. I I totally understand and think. Nothing, well, erroneous about it. No, there, there's you know? nothing crazy about this, Seb. And, and Shaq, listen, I've been in this very exact position before where you come into a game where you just want the result. A 1-1 tie actually does very well for both, for Borussia Dortmund and PSG. And you're coming on as a young player and you're like, 
kind of want to make a name for myself here. This is a Champions League. This is what I want to do. So you keep going forward. So that that talk right there with Hummels, a defensive player, is you don't need to go forward. We need to keep the ball. We don't need to play transition. We need to see the results out. We're already first place. That's the same thing with the coach. But Gio Reyna, as a young player in the Champions League mm. who sees open space, what do you want to do? You're an attacking player. You want to take the open space. That's what he wants to do. This right there, it's something that happens a thousand times in training rooms, a thousand times in dressing excuse me, in dressing rooms and training sessions, where it's just, hey, the important thing here was the result. Nothing else. Um, what's interesting is it's happened between these two. Three years ago this week, Matt Hummels criticized Reina publicly for, quote, not staying with his man and said he's got to prove he wants to win above all. So uh, certainly not the first time between those two, maybe not the last. Hey, Shaka, real quick, you think Gio Reyna should stay at Borussia Dortmund or you think it's time for him to move on? Herc has made it very clear he thinks Gio Reyna's future is best elsewhere. I, I'm, I'm with Herc. I, I, I don't think Gio Reyna is, is, is getting the kind of minutes that, that he needs to play and, and, and growing in, in this game. Listen, uh, Dortmund are uh, one of the bigger clubs in, in German football, if not European football, and I'm uh, sure there's an attraction to, to staying involved with, with, with an outfit such as that. But if you're not playing, if you're coming on for the last 10 minutes and you're as talented a player as Gio Reyna is, I, I, I don't see the point in it. Listen, mm. it... it for a second, can we acknowledge how little he's played? It seems like he's play, he played more when he was 16 years old and debuting for Dortmund mm. than he does today. All year, he's played 268 minutes. A talented player like Gio Reyna, he's got to get out. Yeah. Uh, I asked because there was an article in The Athletic. Apparently, there's interest from teams in Germany, Spain, Italy. We've seen links to uh, teams in the Eredivisie as well. So, potentially, lots of suitors for Gio Reyna. He's just 21 years old, contract running with Dortmund through 2025. Shaka, before we let you go... Let's take a moment here to focus in on the efforts of Leon Bailey, because he wasn't called up for Aston Villa today in Europa Conference League. Picked up a slight knock over the weekend, but that knock didn't stop him from getting uh, an assist on the game-winning goal in Villa's 1-0 victory over Arsenal on Saturday. Bailey now has five goals, four assists in 14 Premier League appearances so far this season. Villa sitting in third, just two points back uh, of first place. Shaka, just how good is Leon Bailey playing right now? And just how realistic is it for us to think he might be able to keep it up? I, I think Leon Bailey is, is, is an incredible talent. Um, I, I, I find he's far more consistent, far more productive with, with Aston Villa um, than he is with Jamaica, if I, if I may say so. Um, and, and I don't know if, if that's... Wearing a national team shirt comes comes with a lot of a lot of emotion, if not expectation, and I just wonder if if that's part of of uh, the issue with Leon Bailey wearing wearing the 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 yellow of, of Jamaica. But but certainly with with Aston Villa, I, he, he continues to, to thrive. He he offers um, he offers a, a threat down that right hand side where he, he cuts in onto that left foot. He offers a threat from set pieces, um, and, and just when when he's allowed one-on-one to, to, to run at defenders, he, he is fearsome. Um, you, you saw that against Manchester City when, for, for some very strange re reason, Guardiola was left one-on-one -on -one with Leon Bailey and, and he just absolutely had a field day. Guardiola playing out of position, albeit as, as a left-back or in this game on the left-hand left, left -hand side of, 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 of a, a three centre-backs, um, but, but Leon Bailey just tasted blood in the water and, and had a field day with, with Guardiola and, and when he's when he's allowed that kind of space when he's allowed that that room and, and to go at defenders one-on-one -on -one, he's, he's pretty fearsome uh, 
Listen, you just got me thinking about something, Shaq. You mentioned the, the Jamaican national team, and it got me thinking about Aston Villa the last two seasons, the last couple years with Leon Bailey. He's a different player today. And a lot of that could be Unai Emery, and a lot of that could be that Aston Villa is a much better team. So Jamaica has a better team. Jamaica is given a player opportunity for a goal. He may take advantage of these opportunities. He's in the form of his life. He's rivaling the 2020 form with Leverkusen when he had 15 goals, 11 assists. Uh, well, you thought this is the player for the future right here, for the Jamaican future. He comes to Aston Villa, and he didn't produce. He's producing now. And I mentioned that Villa under... Unai Emery is a, is a better team. Well, Leon Bailey's a massive part of that. You're right. Uh, isolated on the wing, uh, going 1v1 against anybody in the Premier League. In the Premier League, uh, few, are, few can handle him. Few can defend the kid. And he's having a hell of a season. Yeah. Shaka, I, I find it interesting you mentioned the numbers because in the Premier League, they are sensational. 11 games with Jamaica in 2023. Uh, five of them in the Gold Cup. I think six CONCACAF Nations League or vice versa. Only two goals um, in those 11 games for Leon Bailey. So the productivity that we're seeing now at Aston Villa that, to, to Herc's point, we've seen before at Leverkusen, we have yet to see uh, with the Jamaican national team. Quickly, Shaka, Aston Villa, top four realistic for Leon Bailey and company? Absolutely. Unai Emery has Aston Villa playing some of the best football in, in the Premier League. Right now, I, I say, I think Arsenal are playing the best football in the league. And I'm saying that right after Aston Villa beat Aston uh, beat Arsenal in in the Premier League. Um, I, 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 we we've seen stranger things happen in this league. We've seen stranger things happen in in, in this game. But the way Unai Emery has this team playing, the confidence and his own experiences as a manager, um, I I. I, I think they're short favourites to, to, to finish top four. They could worry some of the some of the big boys. Oh, I think Newcastle going out was uh, is going to be something to deal with. They're no longer in European competition. It could just cost yep. them in Premier League. That's going to be a tough one. I tell you what, Shaka Hizab is going to be back on Football Americas. He just made producer Beto very happy with the nice <laughs> words he said there about Arsenal. So, uh, Shaka, as always, <laughs> great to have you with us on the show. Really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll have you again soon here on on Football Americas on ESPN Plus. Good seeing you guys. There he is, uh, Shaka Hislop, our good friend and colleague. Catch him over on ESPN FC. Let's run it back. This is a goal-only edition of Run It Back. Sorry to Santiago Jimenez and Ricardo Pepe. Your Champions League assists mean nothing to us. Boo! Um, nothing to us. However, uh, Edson Alvarez, Herc, uh, playing for West Ham in the Europa League, got his uh, first goal for West Ham in a 2-0 victory over Freiburg. And then show the goal. Oh, here it is. Hey, listen, good run right here. Give and go. The finish is sublime. The celebration needs a lot of work. What's he want to do? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'll finally... Oh, we don't show the slide on the knees. It was epic. Listen, the move is... The movement's brilliant. The finish is great. Edson Alvarez not... No, there it is. <laughs> it could use a little work. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't score all that often. We mentioned his uh, first goal for West Ham. Uh, West Ham finishing first in the group. You know who's very happy about that? Who? Shaka Hislop, former Hammer of the Year. I bet you didn't know How that. How many Dara. teams did he play for? A lot, a lot, and he was very successful at uh, at many of them. Here's a look at uh, CONCACAF players that have advanced in uh, Europa League as well as in the uh, Champions League. There we see yeah. so, no, Europa League. We've got uh, AC Milan, West Ham, uh, Rangers, and Marseille. We've got some uh, CONCACAF representation in the Europa League. And then in the Champions League, uh, here's who is left. Porto with Jorge Sanchez and Steven Eustachio. PSV, of course, with the three Americans and Chucky Lozano. Bayern advances with Alfonso Davies. And Dortmund advances with Gio Reyna.
let's take a look here at the CONCACAF Champions Cup draw, which took place on uh, Wednesday. They got an expanded format this year, 27 teams uh, up from 16 a year ago. There's a few teams that went directly into the round of 16, but uh, let's go over some of the round one matchups because there's some good ones. Philadelphia Union against Saprissa. We got Toluca against Herediano. Club America against Real Esteli out of uh, Nicaragua. We got Chivas against Forge. Forge out of the Canadian Premier League. New England Revolution playing aside from Panama. And then there you see the three teams that are through to the round of 16 on that side of the bracket. Among them, our good friends Robin Hood from down in Suriname. Other side of the bracket, your round one matchups. The all MLS affair between Houston and St. Louis. We got Tigres against Vancouver, MLS versus Liga Mekis. MLS versus Canadian Premier League, Orlando against Cavalry. Rayados against Comunicaciones out of Guatemala. Cincy against Cavalier out of Jamaica and Nashville against Mocha out of the Dominican Republic. Columbus and Inter-Miami through to the round of 16 on this side of the bracket. All right, Herc, a lot to unpack there. Your first reaction is you see the draw for the 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup. Well, there's obviously one side of the bracket that you'd say, whoa, it's it's very heavy. A lot, lot, of, lot of talented teams. And in the early crossovers, I, I was... You, you want to see good teams play against each other. You want to see these rivalry games, you know, be natural. And I'm not saying they're not natural, but I'm not used to seeing them in the CONCACAF Champions Cup or in the CONCACAF Champions League. It's the CONCACAF Champions Cup now, so I'll call it that. I'm not used to seeing a potential round of 16 matchup Clásico Nacional, América Chivas. That's insane. I'm not used to seeing a potential, you know, knockout round game between a Tigres versus Columbus, MLS champion versus Liga Mekis champion right away. I'm not used to seeing something that could be Tigres Monterrey before you get even, to, you know, it, it, it's it's enticing matchups along the way. But I was very, very, um, just kind of, what's the word? It's not distraught, but I was very taken aback by the power on one side of the back bracket. Yeah, there's definitely a easy path versus hard path. And I think we'll get, get into that a little bit more on our next topic because it affects uh, Inter-Miami and Lionel Messi specifically for once they end up kind of on the harder side of the bracket. The Club America Chivas matchup potentially in the round of 16 is tantalizing. Yes. You love that from a, a tournament organizer perspective. As a fan of one of those teams, I think you you wouldn't you don't really want to see that in a round of 16. No. You, you might like to see that in a semifinal or a final. It feels worthy of a, of a much bigger affair, but um, I think that's going to be a huge potential draw. You look at the matchups for both those, Real Esteli uh, out of Nicaragua, Forge out of the Canadian Premier League, Chivas and Club America are going to be um, massive favorites. One thing that jumped out to me here, and obviously it, it goes hand in hand with the expanded field, but there are just so many MLS teams, Herc. There's 10 of the 27 teams here are from MLS. If you think about it from the other Champions Leagues, like think about it, the UEFA Champions League, the top four from England goal. You don't get the top 10 from Major League Soccer. Do we need Do we need 10 MLS teams to decide the continental champion? And, and Is no, this league and, and really that deep? And especially when none of those 10 MLS teams are Seattle or LA. They're, none of them right. are Seattle or right. LAFC, which I would say are the, some of the top teams <laughs> in Major League Soccer. So what are you doing here? It's just... That's the way that CONCACAF negotiated for Leagues Cup, and that's why you're getting the third place. That's why that game between Philadelphia Union and Monterrey, as insignificant of a third-place game as it was to some people, it wasn't because there's a spot on the line. That's how Philly got here. But I agree with you. When you have a New England Revolution coming into this who won nothing last year, who were an embarrassment last year, and don't even get me started in the Bruce Arena situation and how he's being reinstated, are now in the CONCACAF Champions Cup because of it, 
I, I don't know. I don't know. Of those, uh, of those round one matchups, Herc, is there anyone where you see a Liga Mekis or MLS side that should be nervous? To me, the one that jumps off the page is Philly against Saprissa. A little bit of, of that course. is just history because it's Saprissa. Uh, yeah. Respect the Philadelphia Union, but if there's one of those kind of non-MLS Liga Mekis teams you don't want to see in, in this competition, it would, it would be that one for me. What about you? Same. Same. I, I've played in yeah. San Jose against Saprissa. It, it's, it's no uh, picnic, if you will. It's definitely a difficult venue to play at. Uh, by no means will it be easy for Philly. Speaking of not going to be easy, things are not going to be easy. For once, for Inter-Miami here in this CONCACAF Champions Cup, let's talk about that side of the bracket, Herc, because it truly feels here like the organizers did Lionel Messi no favors. Yeah, let me very quickly before I talk about this tournament, just said the organizers did Leo Messi no favors. How about whoever scheduled Inter-Miami's just schedule the whole season or preseason, if you will, because they're about to start preseason in, in like mid-January and they're going to be in four games in, Salva, in El Salvador, two in Saudi Arabia, one against Cristiano Ronaldo and his team, and they're going to go to Hong Kong and then they're going to come back and they're going to play a little bit of, of, of MLS before they do the Champions League and it's going to go nonstop. The final ends the first week of June and then, by the way, he may have like 10 days to rest up before he's got to go to Copa America, which he's already said to himself, that's the most important thing in his world is national team. So the, the whole thing is, is out of whack when it comes to the schedule. But when it comes to how difficult it is, for a second, they're going to wait to see who the winner is. It'll probably, if you will, Nashville. Okay, Nashville SC, who was their finalist, their rival in the final of League's Cup. That's how they got here. That's how Messi and friends got to this competition. They'll face that. After that, they'll go against a, a winner in Cincy, FC Cincinnati, and Monterrey, Rayados de Monterrey. No easy uh, game there. And then you're going to face a potential winner of Tigres versus Columbus. Uh, Liga MX champions versus MLS champion. And then when you go off of that, uh, you're going to face the other side of the bracket, whoever is that winner on the other side of the bracket. It's no picnic for uh, Messi and friends. And sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and we start saying, this is planned. This was done this way. I can't imagine CONCACAF themselves said, let's make it so different or so difficult. Let's make it so difficult for this team, for Messi's team to make it to the final. There is no more difficult road than that side of the bracket and for Leo Messi. Yeah, I'm looking at the matchups. You're right. It could be Crew. It could be Tigres. It could even be Orlando in that game after the potential Cincinnati or Rayado showdown. I mean, it's just a murderer's row there. Uh, having looked at the bracket now, having looked at the draw real quickly, do you have an early favorite in this tournament? No, I don't have an early favorite because I keep thinking all the powers on that side, all powers on Inter-Miami side, on hmm. Tigres side, on Rayado side. Um, I I'm going to say the winner comes out of this side of the bracket, but I don't have an early favorite. You, don't, you can't give me a net. You can't pick one of those teams. You can't even go with your beloved Tigres. You're right. I'll go with Tigres. There it is. There it is. Hercules Gomez, as always. Uh, who's, on, your, who's your favorite? Not Football America. Who's your favorite? Tigres. Who's your favorite? Hey, America, obviously. I mean, I like the side of the bracket that they're on. They're going to beat Chivas in the round of 16. Bish, bash, bosh. We know that won't be any oh. problem. Oh, they, they, the they, better, be, they better beat Chivas. Because <laughs> that would be embarrassing if your winner, if your early winner pick didn't, didn't get out of the round of 16. Oh, what a story that would be. Absolutely cannot wait for the 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup. And since Herc mentioned it, that's right. Lionel Messi and Inter Miami will be going on a preseason tour to Saudi Arabia to partake in the Riyadh 
season cup, which means we're gonna get another Messi versus Cristiano Ronaldo showdown. February 1st in Saudi Arabia's inner Miami faces off against Al Nasser. Perk, something, nothing, or everything. This preseason showdown between Messi and Ronaldo. Everything. It's everything. Listen, you, we could downplay how insignificant it is. We can downplay that it's a money grab. We can do all these different things while they're both over the hill for what their careers were. Okay, nobody's saying they're over the hill for what their careers were. We could say all these different things that most people are going to say, pundits will say, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what we're going to be doing February 1st? You know what every single one of us is going to be doing? Watching this game. You know what every single network is going to be doing? Try to get the rights, TV rights to this game. Everybody will be talking about this. Everybody will be watching this. It's the last dance between the two. They still sell. It's still Cristiano Ronaldo. It's still Lionel Messi. It's still the absolute two best footballers of our generation and, and, and maybe currently so when it comes to attention because that's what they captivate they captivate people and that's what it's going to be this is an everything type of move for everybody involved regardless if you think if it's good football or not everybody will be watching you think it'll be the most watched game of the mls season because i would bet pretty big money there won't be another mls game that comes close even here in the united states i think globally there's no question but here in the u.s uh, I, I, I would assume so. You, you've got what? Is there a problem with that? Is there a problem with the fact that a preseason game would easily outrate, no. in theory, your biggest games, your this MLS is, Cup, this is gonna your, outrate your rivalries? Premier League, this is going to outrate Premier League games. This is going to outrate Champions League games. This isn't an MLS thing here, Seb. This is not an MLS thing. This is not a Saudi Arabia thing. This is a Messi versus Cristiano thing. Nobody's gonna even know or remember that one's an MLS team, the other one's a team from Saudi Arabia. They're gonna care not one bit of that. They're focused on Messi versus Cristiano. Everything else is just noise. What are your expectations? Let's say both teams take this seriously, right? Both teams put out their best 11 or pretty close to it. Who do you think wins? I mean, right, right now, you would have to say that it may be the Saudi Arabia side, Al-Nassar. It, it may be Cristiano's team because mm. today, we'll record this segment, today, uh, Inter-Miami could look very different from what it's going to be when that game starts. And that's a mm. reality. I mean, right now, they've not announced Lee Suarez. We don't know of, of the pending arrivals. This could be a very different Inter-Miami team. And I think if Major League Soccer, Inter-Miami, Tata Martino learned anything uh, from League's Cup and post-League's Cup for Inter-Miami is they need to be a better team, a deeper team. They need to have more power. Yes, star power. So that team could change drastically. One of the big differences between the uh, Saudi teams and the MLS teams like Inter-Miami is the budget. And uh, one of the things we were gonna talk about on today's show was the MLS budget changes, but they were so mad, Herc, that we really didn't get to them. But as long as Saudis can spend kind of limitless and freely, uh, it's gonna be tough to compete with some of the best teams that they can put forward. But should be very fun. February 1st, Messi against Ronaldo, Inter-Miami uh, against Al Nasser from Saudi Arabia. Here on ESPN Plus, we have Bundesliga coming your way Sunday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time with coverage beginning at 1 p.m. It's Bayern Munich, the defending champions against Stuttgart. Again, that's Sunday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff right here on ESPN Plus. Here's a look at the draw for next year's CONCACAF W Gold Cup, which will be played here in the United States late February to early March. It's going to feature eight teams from CONCACAF and four invitees from South America. Group A, you got the U.S., Mexico, and Argentina. Group B, Brazil, Colombia, Panama. Group C, Canada, Costa Rica, and Paraguay. All groups have a team 
Still to be determined, the playoff for those spots will go down February 17th, so just before the tournament begins. For more on this, thrilled to welcome into the show our good friend and colleague Jeff Kasouf. You can read him over on the website, ESPN.com. You can find his work over at Equalizer Soccer as well. Jeff, as always, great to have you with us. I wonder just your general reaction to the U.S. draw and really the strength of this tournament as a whole. Yeah, first time for this tournament. You know, I think it's going to be interesting, right? It's it's falling in an interesting window. The NWSL, I don't think, is thrilled with how it breaks up their preseason. Um, and it's, you know, look, it's a CONCACAF Gold Cup. We see that they need guest teams from Common Ball to fill it out. So, you know, I think that says something about maybe what the strength of the region still looks like. But, you know, I think you look at Group B, and that's certainly the most interesting, uh, potentially, if, if we're to assume that Haiti comes through out of that play-in game, which, you know, I think you could bet good money on. You're looking at four World Cup teams, four teams from the 2023 World Cup. So, you know, I think Group B is really interesting. I don't know, you know, for the U.S., how much of a test is this really? I, I think you're probably looking at a deeper stage game. I mean, I'd be looking forward to, you know, a potential knockout game against a Brazil, for example, maybe Canada. But, you know, I, I think it's a good opportunity for the U.S. in particular to obviously in this transitional phase as Emma Hayes sort of works her way into the system, uh, really get their feet under them and figure out what they want to be in a tournament like this. Yeah, Jeff, that Group A with the, U, with the U.S. women's national team, they should go on. I mean, who are we talking about the favorites for second place? Because there is a, a possibility third place goes through, but the top two are guaranteed. So are you mm -hmm. thinking Argentina? Are you thinking Mexico? Who's your favorite in that second place? Well, I mean, Argentina, obviously, you look at who qualified for the World Cup and obviously the, the huge failure there from Mexico on that home qualifying, on home soil and qualifying. But, you know, I'm really interested to see Mexico coming out of that because I think we've talked about on this show, uh, incredible disappointment to have six CONCACAF teams in the end go through out of eight Mexico hosting that tournament and not going through at all. So, you know, I, they've had they've had the coaching turnover. They've had some revival or at least we're led to believe. Right. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what does that look like, not just again, the U.S., but against Argentina. So I, I'm really interested to see Mexico in this and how they respond to what was a really poor showing in the last CONCACAF tournament. Speaking of Mexico, Jeff, uh, FMF and U.S. soccer teaming up on a co-bid for the 2027 Women's World Cup. How confident should we be? What do you think the chances are that the U.S. and Mexico uh, get this World Cup in a couple years? Well, look, everybody I talk to says the same thing. You look at the three bids that have been submitted, and we know with FIFA, money talks, right? And and everything about this U.S.-Mexico bid is about the money it can generate, about the attendance, the revenue, the sponsorship. And they feel very confidently that that's totally unmatched by uh, their, competitive, their competing bids from Brazil, from Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, which I would say that last one even we saw was... Uh, not necessarily a small tournament, but I think that the projections were certainly more modest when you look at those bid books. So you look at what the U.S. and Mexico are proposing here, obviously proposing to do that one year after the Men's World Cup in 2026, where they're projecting similar, you know, record-breaking uh, attendance and revenue. Um, I think FIFA is going to look at that and, and look at what they're trying to do, right, with getting themselves to equal prize money, you have to find where is that money coming from, to getting themselves into a place where they can demand more for TV rights and sponsorship in the women's game. And I think they're gonna look at this and say, there's one clear answer. Does it play out that way? I, you know, I don't think anything's ever simple in these bids, but I think that the US-Mexico bid is really a clear commercial favorite. I'm thinking about the last time there was an actual World Cup on U.S. soil for the women. It's 2003. What kind of impact do you think it can have on the women's game? 
Yeah, look, I, I think there's two ways to look at this. I mean, I think from that commercial standpoint, it could be huge to have that, right? I also look at, and and South Africa dropped out of this process, so we, we won't have the potential for a first time playing a Women's World Cup on the African continent, but it's never been in South America. Brazil obviously hosted a Men's World Cup recently enough. They're proposing some similar stadiums. So I think that there's a legacy piece there that could be really interesting in Brazil. Um, and I think there's an argument there that that could also do some some very good things for the women's game there. And obviously, as you expand beyond the usual hosts, where so far the Women's World Cups have really all Kind of gone back to the same places right you've had china you've had the us australia new zealand was obviously something different but um you know i think you look at that and there's an argument but yeah certainly uh, again when you're talking about getting getting to equal prize money getting to a place where the tv packaging of a women's world cup is really significant and astronomical in a way that matches the men's world cup not just in the us but globally I think you you look at this U.S.-Mexico bid, and if it is what it promises to be, that's obviously a huge question, um, then it, it could very much put FIFA on a path toward those things. All right, the 2027 World Cup, it's still a ways away, right? We got to focus on the games at hand, and we just had probably our last look, no, our, our last look at, at the U.S. women here in the calendar year of 2023. Jeff, it came in a couple games against China. Now, we know Emma Hayes was both present for at least some of the window and had some say in terms of the players that were called up. When you watch those two games against China, did you get any first impressions like this is what Emma Hayes and the U.S. women's national team will look like moving forward? Yeah, well, look, I mean, we saw some of what Emma Hayes has done at Chelsea already in this U.S. team. And that first game against China, we saw with the ball, they wanted to build out with a three back. You know, at times it looked like a 3-2-5, the way that they, they pushed forward and pushed numbers onto that front line. And I think that sort of shape-shifting, that uh, adaptation, we've seen that from Emma Hayes in Chelsea. And I think we'll see that. It's it's an experimentation of sorts. And I think she's really willing to, to play with uh, conventional wisdom, really, right? I mean, this is a team that's played in a version of a 4-3-3 for six years now and been really committed to it. We already saw in these first sort of Emma Hayes light era games where she's not there yet, obviously, as you said, but we've seen a willingness to steer away from that with how they're building out at the very least. So uh, I think we saw that, um, you know, and we saw we saw both sides of that, right? I think in that first game, we saw the exciting piece of that. It's something different. The U.S. looked pretty sharp. They looked you know, reinvigorated. And then in that second game, we saw sort of a sloppiness and maybe a lack of familiarity with that system, or maybe just last game of the year and, and it is what it is. But um, so I think we already saw sort of both sides. And I think we should expect, you know, maybe this is more of a post-Olympics thing. I think it'll continue into the spring, but part of this experimentation is going to mean those highs and lows, right? I mean, it's going to be you know, she's going to try something along with Twyla Kilgore, obviously, and, and it's not going to work. And it could work. It could it could fail in a very ugly way. Right. And some of those things are going to work and they're going to be built into the Olympic strategy. And really, they're going to be that foundation for 2027. So I think we've already seen a willingness to steer away from the typical formation and shape. And as we've talked about, that 2023 World Cup was so rigid the U.S. could not adapt, and they were so set in their ways that we're not working. We're already seeing something completely different from Emma Hayes here and a willingness to try new things. Jeff, I've mentioned uh, first impressions. It's always important for a player with a new coach. In these two games, what players do you think gave Emma Hayes a good first impression? 
Yeah, well, look, I, I think that what I talked about with the, the three-back build-out, I, I mean, you know, the fullbacks in that system, at least in that first game, again, I think the second game was a bit more sloppy. But, you know, Emily Fox, I, I was really intrigued that we saw something different from her, right? We're so used to her as this attacking inverted fullback that wants to get forward, but centrally. Uh, in that first game, she really was that third center back in the build-out in, in that three-back. So, you know, I, I think she was impressive. You know, we already know Naomi Gurma has been very good in anchoring that again. Uh, Casey Kruger in that first game on that right side, right fullback was was very impressive. And then I think it's, you know, I think it's clear that uh, Lindsey Horan will be a, a focal point for this team in, in midfield. So, you know, I, again, I, I mean, a lot of players you could point to. Jaden Shaw, I think, is a phenomenal talent. We got to see more of her, obviously, got that goal in her hometown in Frisco in that second game. I think she's going to be a really interesting player to watch going forward, a young, talented player. So, you know, I, I think she certainly made an impression. Um, and, you know, I think... That back line, especially, uh, is is a place where you know we saw some good performances in that first game, especially. Jeff, we've covered a lot of ground, uh, but before we let you go, we have to get to something that is uh, very upsetting, at least to me. <laughs> the ESPN FC Women's Rank, which we know is the list of uh, the top 50 players in the world at the moment. I believe you'll correct me if I'm wrong. You were one of the people that voted on this list. Only. I did, yeah. U.S. players, uh, Jeff, on this list. Is that a sign of a bad World Cup or is that a sign of a talent pool, a player pool that has indeed fallen behind? Look, I, I think it's a sign of a bad World Cup, first and foremost. Um, you know, I think there's certainly a player pool conversation, right? But these are, you know, awards in a World Cup year are always about the World Cup, right? For better or worse, I think it's probably unfair to a degree, but the U.S. had a horrible World Cup. That there's there's no getting around that. And if you look at who who among U.S. players had a good World Cup individually, I point to Naomi Gurma, maybe in tandem with Julie Ertz. And then as far as consistency goes, it probably stops there. So the idea that there weren't as many you know U.S. players in a list like this and and in a award season with FIFA Best or you know Ballon d'Or, um, I think that's reflective of a World Cup and. You know, typically we see a golden ball winner then go on and win player of the year. The, the correlation is there. So I think it's here as well. Yeah, I, I'll remind Sebi that last year's uh, top 50, he wasn't pleased with it all either. So uh, it seems to be a theme here with Sebi. Uh, listen, he, he may be on to something. Um, and if I recall correctly, uh, let's talk about NWSL. There were no NWSL players in the final of the World Cup. We're going to list right now. There's only five NWSL players in the top 50. Three are American, two are Brazilian. Is there anything the league, the NWSL, can do about it or should do about it? Should they be worried? Well, look, I mean, I've written this on ESPN.com, too. I, I think there's a perception issue that's probably actually unfair to the NWSL, and I think that there's a global perception, especially from some of the elite in Europe, that the NWSL is somehow tactically inferior or immature. And, you know, that's a, an antiquated view. I, I think you could make that argument a while back, but you look at some of these teams now that are very good in possession, they can beat you in different ways. And frankly, yes, I mean, it's, it's still a league of transition, but you look at international football, you win and lose in transition, right? So I, I think there's probably an unfair opinion of the NWSL beyond the U.S. borders, then, and it's a bit of a reputation that precedes them. Now, look, that does actually affect things 
you know, we can look at a list like this, it maybe affects, but even beyond that, affects player acquisition, right? You know, does a does a top player, does a we see so many Spain players on this list, for example. That's a brand of football that you would argue we're not really seeing in the NWSL, right? Whether that's Spain, whether that's Barcelona. So are those players attracted to this league? And there's financial questions to that too. But I think that's where if the NWSL is looking at how do we compete with the elite of Europe specifically, they've got to figure out somewhat the perception of the league, which is a difficult it's a difficult thing to figure out, right? I mean, it's it's not a one size fix, you know, fits all fix. Um, it's it's a lot of teams, how they play, it's coaching styles, it's players. So I think that there's a perception issue that's going to take some time to really figure out for the NWSL there. It's the ESPN FC women's rank, the top 50 players uh, in the women's game. Check it out over on ESPN.com. He's Jeff Kasuf. Jeff, thanks as always for joining us here on Football Americas. Thanks for having me, guys. leg of the Liga Mekis final between Club America and Tigres. Just moments away from kickoff and joining us now for a full preview, our good friend and colleague Mauricio Pedrosa. Uh, Mal, great to have you with us. What's the setup there like at, at, at Casa Pedrosa for a big final? We got some chelas on hand. Like what's what's the scene? Uh, usually it would be having friends around, having a nice cooler with a 12-pack or something, big TV, but it was today when I decided to do a massive deep cleaning of my couch and sofas. So I'll be watching in bed. And Seb, I don't want to share with you all how my setup in my bedroom looks like. I'm not doing no, that. No, please. No, 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 no. We want all access here on Football Americas <laughs> to a point, to a point. And even then we say enough um, is enough. All right, so uh, let's get into this game. Now, let's start with the rosters because these two teams certainly have very yeah. impressive Rosters. Who do you think has the better roster as we get set for the first leg here? I think Club America has slightly a better roster than Tigres. Though I believe there's better chemistry in the Tigres roster than in Club America. Mm. Because and we are about to confirm America's starting 11. We already know who's starting for Tigres. Uh, there are some new things that Andre Jardine has brought to this team. We're still trying to figure out who the best left back is. Julian Quiñones, where's his best position? His chemistry with Henry Martin, Diego Valdez playing as that number 10. So even though I think Club America's roster is a little deeper, now even considering that Brian Rodriguez is fit and will be, uh, will be in the bench for Club America, uh, I think slightly, I'll give that slight edge to Club America Although this Tigres team has been through a lot, the core of this team with Nahuel, 
Guido, Carioca, Aquino, Gignac, all of them starting tonight. Chemistry counts a lot, especially in big games like tonight's. Yeah, I'm glad you brought Brian Rodriguez for a second, the ex-LAFC man, because what, what version of Brian Rodriguez are you going to get? Uh, are you going to get the version of Brian Rodriguez in the first eight games had four goals and one assist, or are you going to get the version of Brian Rodriguez that before the injury went cold for seven games with no goals, no assist, and hardly started? So uh, that's, I'm glad you brought up Brian Rodriguez. I agree with a lot of what Mauricio said. This is a very, very tightly contested final. When we talk about who's better here, who's better there, we are literally splitting hairs. If you had to pick a winner, I'm sure all three of us would say a 51-49% split, and it goes to said winner. It's that close. But the better roster here goes to Tigres. And, and think about the lines, the goalkeeping line. You would take Nahuel mm. Guzman over an unproven Luis Magón, uh, Malagón. Excuse me. Think about the defensive line. Jardine doesn't even know who his defensive line is. He doesn't know who his two center backs are. He doesn't know who's going to start on the right-hand side. It's going to be Kevin Alvarez. It's going to be Miguel Ayun. When you look at the midfield line, it's the same type of things. I would take Tigres' midfield line right now and the play of Sebastián Córdoba when it matters in Liguillas over anybody in that midfield for America. And then when you go up top, it's André Pierre Gignac. And I know André Pierre Gignac hasn't played much. Um, he split series uh, in this uh, league and these playoffs because he's got a bit of a pubalgia, a bit of a, of a hernia issue, if you will. Uh, but when he plays, he's just effective. And in finals, there is no better player. There is no player you would love to leave it up to more than mm. an André Pierre Gignac. And then a roster also includes the coach. And Jardine is a very good coach. I did not expect him to be as successful with Club America in his first season. I don't know if you two Americanistas did. I did not. But Robert Dante Siboldi is much more seasoned, much more uh, a veteran of this specific league and of his specific team. And he's also the defending champion. Look, I think America has a very good roster. I think Tigres has a very good roster. I think if we're just going on paper, especially when you look like up top, the names on America are very are very impressive. What I worry about, what I see is, is the point that Mao makes about chemistry and the point Herc makes about defense. When you talk about Tigres, you know exactly what you're going to get in that back line. You know it's going to be Samir. You know it's going to be Pizarro. It's going to be Angulo. It's going to be Aquino. Those, those guys are basically there all the time. And America, if you talk about their back four, we could talk about Kevin Alvarez, like an $11 million right back. Or we could talk about Cáceres, a guy who supposedly is going to go play in the Premier League. But do, do they actually like play at that level? On paper, those guys are really, really good. Well, but I, I trust the Tigres back four far more than I trust the America, the America back line, Mao. And I think even you, with your Americanista ways, you must yeah. see it the same way. No, I mean, uh, especially at a center back position. Tonight, Igor Lishnovsky is going to start for Club America, where four months ago, Tigres wanted him out of the door. Tigres still paying the salary, and they didn't want him there because they needed that uh, foreign player spot. And America was the winner in the raffle. Now he's going to be a starter for that team. Uh, so in the back line and the goalkeeper, I don't think there's even a question. Now, midfield and attacking players, uh, honestly, for current level, I don't see how any of the players that are going to start for Tigres, Bigón, Lainez, Bigón, Lainez, and Córdoba wouldn't start for this Club America. Mm. None of them. None of them would start for Club America. So that's, that, that's still why I give America that slight edge. And then you got to go to the bench where you have Cabecita Rodríguez, Leo Suárez, um, Richard Sánchez. You also have now Brian Rodríguez. So 
that also can, we have to take that in consideration when we're going to break down a roster. So that's why I'm giving Club America a slight edge over the Tigres. That midfield and attacking lines, they're way deeper in Club America. Go on, Herc. You, you agree with what he says? Be gone. Linus and who else? Cordova, don't get into this uh, America 11. No, come on. Come on. Uh, this America team, if there's one thing that, that, that Tigres, and I will remind you that Tigres has, is what Chepo de la Torre has always wanted. Salud. Health. And that's one thing that America has not had all season. Inconsistency. Their best player, Diego Valdez, was uh, a league MVP candidate until he got injured. They you don't know. Now. Well, that's the thing. Brian Rodriguez was, was, was a player that went hot and cold, but when he was hot, he was there till he got injured. Cabez but none of that affected the team, They went 19 unbeaten. Well, yeah, how, how, do they look, how do they look in the year? Because I saw the two games I mean, they against beat San Luis 5-0. Excuse me. I saw the two versus Leon. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. I saw the two games versus Leon, the two worst halves that we've seen from America in each game this season. I saw 5-0 versus San Luis. Absolutely. San Luis was not existing that day. God bless San Luis. They, 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 they weren't Whoa. up to that level right there, okay? The return <laughs> leg, the 2-0 defeat in Estadio Azteca. What did you see from that Club America? What I'm saying is the consistency hasn't been there. It has from this roster. Okay. Now, uh, let's move on here with what we think might be the bigger yeah. factor over the two legs. All right, is it going to be Tigres experience, which Herc has noted they have quite a bit of, especially big game experience? Or is it going to be America's record, their form, as we just mentioned, 19 unbeaten before losing in the second leg of the semifinal against San Luis? What do you think, Mal? Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, Club America's record as of now, and I'm going to add another record to that. They haven't lost a game away at Tigres in the past six years. December 2nd, 2017. That's the last time when Club America lost at El Volcan. Um, but I also, that's history. And, and, and we can debate how much do we, do we take history and consider it important to break down a game. Now, this current record for Club America, yes, they lost to San Luis in the second leg with the semifinal. Andre Jardine pretty much started with four players that don't usually are part of the starting 11. But when America has played with this lighter, now confirmed, no surprises whatsoever. Miguel Ayun will start as a right back. It's now confirmed. When this lineup starts, Club America is unbeaten. And the other factor that I will add is, even though Tigres, they are the current champs, and you got to respect the champs, you got to give the champs credit. But this Club America, they have been statistically the best team in Liga MX for the past two years. They are hungry. They have failed in the last three seasons miserably, especially last season when they lost against Chivas. So this team, this team's fire, this team's desire to finally get rid of those ghosts, I think will also play a big, big factor in this final. So uh, you talk about that experience. You talk about that record, actually. Let me start with the record. Mal's very correct in, in pointing out America's record versus Tigres. They, they've dominated mm -hmm. Tigres. What is it, Mal? 11 games they've not lost to Tigres, eight of those being wins. It's a dominant team performance in the regular season. And that's kind of been Club America's MO for the last five years. It's the regular season. Guess what the MO of Tigres has been the last decade? Finales, finals, championships. And if you want to talk about the records versus each other, just look at the last time they played a final against each other. It happened to be Tigres beating America in the last final they played. I will go with the experience. 
We know how good Club America is. Nobody's saying they're not a good team. We know how good Tigres is. But in this moment, when the chips are down, like they were down against Chivas, when they were down by two goals with 20 minutes left, default DNA, the championship DNA, the winner's mentality sets in for a team like Club America that from the back, from the spine, Nahuel Guzman, uh, you go Guido Pizarro, Carioca, Gignac, experience everywhere, winning multiple championships. You look at the young players on this team, Angulo, a national team player, knows what it's like to win championships. Diego Lainez, national team player, knows what it's like to win championships, has played in Europe. Same thing, all over the place, they are stacked with experience. That counts for a lot when you're playing a game like this. Tigre is going for the uh, bicampeonato, the back-to-back uh, -back title wins in Liga Mekis. Club América looking for their uh, first title since 2019. All right, let's get some predictions on the books here. Mauricio, who do you think is going to win? Well, I think, and uh, picture paints my thoughts better than anybody. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with <laughs> Las Poderosísimas. Super Aguilas del América. I think it's their time. I think I think there's a lot of factors that lead me to believe that this is the time. This is a team that plays really well. And yes, when we had other seasons in which the team used to defend really, really poorly, I think Andre Jardine has done a better job at creating a more balanced team. I will go with the current form of some of the star players. Álvaro Fidalgo, one of the best players of the season. Diego Valdez, maybe not because of his injury in the last two, uh, two, two games. He would have been the MVP. Henry Martin is finally fed during a Liguilla in a playoff. That was not the case six months ago, a year ago. So when you combine all of that, plus, plus the fact that the second leg will be the final match played at Estadio Azteca until... The World Cup 2026, I think it's time. I think it's due. Las Aguilas del América, they're going to get their 14th league title of Liga MX. My man Mao knows how much I love him and I respect and admire him. Mm -hmm. he, he knows all these things. I think he's a very talented individual. But La Mufa Pedrosa just gave Tigres mm -hmm. the, the crown they've been looking for, El Bicampeonato. The curse. Uh, the listen, curse. Listen, <laughs> listen to what I'm going to say right now, okay? Uh, if América doesn't have a good series from Henry Martin and Julian Quinones, it's over. It's over. But... That's a pretty big if, isn't but, it? But it's a pretty big if, saying. isn't it? Listen it's to what big, I'm saying. If. Listen to what I am saying, little one. If André Pierre Gignac for Tigres <laughs> and Luis Quinones, okay, for Tigres, do not have a good game, this is still a game Tigres can win. They're a deeper team, default DNA and default mentality. When the chips are down, I don't care if they lose the first leg. There's more of a chance of Tigres coming back than there is from America coming back if they lose the first leg. I smell it. Equipo grande, bicampeonato, what they've been looking for. And tonight it starts. I will take Tigres. Wow, Hercules Gomez, the uh, ex-Tigres man, taking Tigres to win uh, Liga Mekis over Club America. I guess I'll split the difference then. And uh, this one was tough because I had to put all the all the data into the machine 
really think about it, really kind of work through it. I'm going with Club America. You know, uh, I would be disowned in my house if I didn't uh, go with Club America. I think the firepower is too much here. At least that's what I'm telling myself. Uh, full respect to Tigres and all the history, but the history of America specifically against Tigres, I think will give them some confidence. I don't think as much momentum was lost thanks to the 2-0 uh, defeat against San Luis as, as some may have thought. And honestly, if it's not Quinones, if it's not Henry Martin, it's Sendejas, it's Leo Suarez, it's uh, Cabecita. Uh, Diego I mean, there's so many options. Diego Valdez, it's Brian Rodriguez now if he's fit. I mean, there are so many options for Club America in terms of guys who score. Uh, and in Jardine, they got a guy who's going to let him a little bit more loose uh, than Siboldi. Siboldi likes to keep his teams tight. So I, I, I think America here playing some beautiful ball. Uh, we, we'll win it we all. Can, all right, we can, hey, we got we some breaking let, news. Go, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. We got some breaking news before we let Mal go. Uh, reports out of Mexico. Velko Paunovic, uh, former Chicago Fire manager, uh, is now apparently also a former Chivas manager. Looks like he has resigned from his job uh, at Chivas. Uh, Mal, instant reaction here. What do you make of it? Not surprised at all. This is actually mm. the second time that Velko Paunovic resigns. The first time it was his resignation was not accepted. It was during the season. It made some sense for Chivas not to let him go. He had an offer to go to La Liga, to Almeria. I don't know what team is in worse shape right now, if Almeria or Chivas. But I think this is a big loss for Guadalajara. In the end, in the end, this is a manager that beat Club America in the semifinal last season. It was 20 minutes away from, from being a Liga MX champion. And I know this season, the performance was not there after the first three games when they looked unbeatable. But it was not all Belko Paunovic's fault. I think Chivas' problems go way deeper than just the manager. And we'll see how good of a sporting director Fernando Hierro is. Who's going to pick? Who's he going to pick next? It's not going to be an easy call for Chivas, especially during this win uh, uh, winter window. Not a lot of good coaches are mm, available. Points. Uh, available. So, yeah, big loss for Guadalajara. Listen, it's a, it's a massive loss for, for Chivas. Um, I think we know that Velko Panovic, regardless of the style, if you liked it or not, was, was effective in the calendar year with Chivas and their perennial ninth place team on average. And so he had them in, in heights that they've not been to in quite some time. I will say this. It is very fitting that on the night of the Liga MX final between Club America and Tigres, the two biggest clubs today, Chivas... Chivas news comes out. How many times do we hear this on the night of a big Liga Equis moment that Chivas is not a part of? It's always breaking news for Chivas. Very fitting. Yeah. There you yeah. have it. Yeah. That's a Vergara MO, by the way. It is. That's a Vergara MO. If you're not making headlines on the field, make your headlines elsewhere. There he is, Mauricio Pedros, our good friend and colleague. Check him out five days a week on ESPN Deportes. <laughs> Ahora nunca, where he may or may not be wearing that. America Lucha Libre mask. What a beautiful, beautiful sight that is. And uh, we should remind you, Eredivisie on uh, ESPN Plus this weekend. Boy, PSV, what a season they're having with their four CONCACAF players. Perfect so far in league play. They'll be away against uh, Asset Alkmaar Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's when coverage begins here on ESPN Plus. Time for our parting shot, Herc. And it is a real parting shot here for Giorgio Chiellini, who announced his retirement from professional football. The 39-year-old Italian, of course, won the European Championship in 2021 and then played his last two pro seasons with LAFC. 
won MLS Cup in 2022, won the Supporter Shield as well that year. And of course, uh, this year, a CONCACAF Champions League final defeat to go along with his MLS Cup defeat to the Columbus crew. Herc, uh, sad to see him go, are we? Yeah, listen, it's not just the 25, you know, trophies that this man has won or the almost 550 club games that he's played or the over 100 national team games. Uh, it's not that the fact that he was arguably one of the best defenders of if his generation. It's who he was. And, and you will remember this, Seb, when he comes to LAFC and he comes to ESPN here in the ESPN uh, building and we have an interview with him here for Football Americas, I'm talking to him kind of off air, and he already knows everything about his teammates. He knows who they mm. are. He knows their tendencies on the field. He knows everything about the opposition, the league. He had studied. He was such a student of the game, and he took things so seriously on the field. He gave it the respect that it warranted that, I'll be honest, not a lot of designated players, and he wasn't even a designated player, not a lot of players given Major League Soccer, big players when they get here, and I was just – you know, it was outstanding to see somebody of his caliber take things so seriously, but it goes to show you why he was so successful everywhere he was. Yep. And he had the iconic moments uh, as well, of course, with Luis Suarez, Bukayo Saka, and who could forget when he yelled at Ricky Puig after the El Trafico classic that we had in right. uh, Los Angeles. Right. So, Giorgio Chiellini, always in the mix and always welcome here on Football Americas. All right, Herc, that'll do it for episode 310. As always, a pleasure to be with you, even though you are wearing Seattle Sounders gear. Uh, I've got on my Diodora Finest. We will be back on Monday with a full recap of the Liga Mekis final. Vamos, America! Come on, I need this one. I, I cannot suffer another defeat on this show. <laughs> my wife, my kids. Oh, I play golf. I hate golf. <laughs>